Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Today, we're going to be talking to Scott and Daryl, who are the co-founders and co-owners of Steel Hands Brewing here in Columbia. This episode is about more than just beer. It's about how to create a product that's never been done before, how to sell it the right way, how to market it the right way, and to basically to live to tell about it. Stay tuned. I think you're going to like this. Thanks for having us here today for this, this episode of Footnotes with um, Scott Lambert and Daryl Frick of uh, Steel Hands Brewing. And uh, we got some of the product here in front of us. I think it's a Pilsner. Uh, we've we've uh, already enjoyed a little bit of it. Uh, so hopefully this goes okay. <laughs> but, you know, when we were when we were getting to know each other and kind of setting up for this interview, it was interesting that you said this really started from a, a conversation you guys had at a Christmas party, I think it was. That's correct. Where you decided like, hey, let's let's make some better beer. And, and maybe it sounded like a joke at first, but here we are. So did it? Did it really happen that way at a Christmas party? Yeah, so my day job's an architect at an architecture firm here in town, and uh, uh, Daryl Frick's a good friend of mine, and uh, we always had Christmas parties together for years. And uh, after probably a few too many drinks one night, um, we came up with this idea of starting Steel Hands Brewing. Mm. And uh, what started as sort of a joke after several beers turned into a couple years working on a business plan together and um, basically begging multiple banks to try to, you know, finance our dream and uh and that's kind of how it started now one of the things too like you said it took a couple of years i think that's interesting so it, it didn't go from just a conversation to hey let's let's go buy the equipment or, or let's brew it in our garage i mean what was it what was it like from when you started and had the idea to when you actually were, were making batches of beer sure so one of the aspects of the business plan uh, that developed out of uh, a lot of conversation and travel. So Daryl and I, in business together, we travel uh, all over the country, going to different seminars. But every time we landed in a city somewhere, we try to find a brewery. And, okay. uh, and so that turned into really not only gaining experience from talking to the people that own the breweries. Uh, in general, brewery owners are very open to conversation. They, uh, over the over the travels and whatnot, they will tell you everything they did right and what they did wrong. Uh, so it's a pretty open community. Uh, but we began working on the, on a business plan together. And, um, and it uh, took, like I said, a couple of years to develop that. But part of the, or the main focus of that was to be a production brewery. So uh, a lot of the banks were looking at us beginning with a small batch system, a five barrel system or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of said, well, why don't you just start small? Well, that was not the plan. The plan was to be a production brewery. So you can't really start small with small equipment. Um, otherwise, you basically get rid of all that equipment a year down the road. You go buy big equipment. So we really set the whole business plan on a production brewery, which uh, turned into a fair amount of research on you know, what kind of system does that mean? What, uh, what volume would you produce a year? Um, and ultimately that developed into a, a, a bigger business plan uh, that included not only the back of house production, but also the front of house being a tap room. Uh, and then we kind of delved into that quite a bit. And a lot of the successful breweries that we visited had multiple components to the tap room. So part of it was obviously great beer, number one goal, sure. uh, but also being able to serve food. And um, another big component of that was having an outdoor space that people can gather and have activities and then live music. So really combining all those different components into a business plan was uh, was really the impetus behind Steel Hands. Yeah, I think, you know, for a consumer that would just visit here, they think that, you know, Steel Hands is what we're sitting in right now. I mean, they know that you make beer and you can get it at the grocery store, but I think it's, from what I heard you say, it's, it's sort of like you had to start it, you had to make sure the business was solid 
um, on the back end, I guess, in terms of your production before the more visible things for the consumer were, were out there. I think that's, it's, it's the right way to think about it, but it does seem kind of backwards. People want to say, let's start a brewery, and they think about this part or, or where you can go hear live yeah. music. So, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, nothing's easy, but, you know, it's a, a brew pub, it's what it's called. And, okay. And all the beer that's made is just sold in the tap room. So you don't really have to pay attention that much to quality and repetition. But when you put it in a can and you send it out to a grocery store, it's got to have a shelf life and it's got to have, it's got to taste the same every time. And that's hard to do mm-hmm. with small scale, you know? So uh, that that was one aspect. Uh, we And we really planned on this component being the gravy, you know, on top of the back of the house. This turned out to be a lot more than what we anticipated in terms of people coming out. People want to experience it, bring their kids out here, listen to music. So it was a great surprise that this front of the house took, you know, took off. We we had a separate front of the house, back of the house. Right. And uh, of course, most of our concentration was done back of the house, you know, the right equipment, the right brewmaster, putting all those pieces into, into place took a while. Um, but for me, a lot of the interest was just the size of the beer market. You know, in North America, it's $120 billion right now. So craft beer occupies about 13 to 15% of that space. Okay. So what if that became 20% or 25%? So I, I read up on a bunch of stuff and it's like in North America, right, you know, a couple of years ago, beer passed milk in terms of packaged products sold in North America. So okay. it's bottled water, soda, beer is number three, then milk, juices, da, da. it's a huge, huge market. So to capture just a small piece of that market would be, uh, be a great. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, hundred, like you said, a $120 billion market that I think most people wouldn't, wouldn't that, that's a huge number. Um, and then, if, like you said, the craft is just a 12, 13% of that. Yeah. I mean, there's a, to your point, I think there's a lot to grow, grow into. So it's, it is a consumer product and, and people want to enjoy it and drink it. Um, how, how do you decide what you're going to make, you know, in terms of IPAs or Pilsners or Stouts? I mean, who, is it just you guys own it and so you get to pick all the flavors or how, how does that work? Actually, we have very little to do with that. Okay. <laughs> uh, truth be known. Um, we probably about, what, a year ago, we, we uh, hired a national sales rep um, for us. Um, so he's... Uh, not only handling all the distribution contacts and and negotiating those kind of things, he's also researching market trends. So we're looking uh, nationwide at how the beer market's changing, what's popular, um, and also what our retailers are looking for, um, what our distributors are looking for. So um, there's there's a fair amount of research, I'll say, over the last year that we've been focusing on. When we first started, it was it was really our primarily our brewmaster and what you know what he brewed and what what we wanted to do. But as you get further and further in distribution, um, it's I'll say there's more strategy that we're infusing into the process now. Mm-hmm. So we we really want to try to. It's not what we like; it's what the consumer wants, right? What your sure. consumer is doing, but trying to figure that out tough, you know, and uh, our brewmaster, he's got a thousand recipes in his head, legitimately, and for instance, his his award-winning beer out in Texas was a smoked beer. It tasted like it had a big smoky, but it just didn't go over here. So, Interesting. so just because he likes it or we like it doesn't mean it's going to sell, right? right? So IPAs are still the biggest market nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that's developed over the last several years since we've been open. You know, what what type of IPAs, different uh, different genres of IPAs. Uh, we recently did a fruited IPA series. So uh, that's ever changing, um, and and the trends change from taste to like the most hoppy beer you can have out there to more fruited IPAs. So that uh, that trend is continuing to change. You know, really every day or every month. So how does that affect you on the business side of things? Of course, you know, you have an expert who is watching the trends, who knows how all that gets all the technical factors for making the product, but how does that impact you for planning for the business or, or is it maybe not as not as linked? Yeah, so we're actually uh, working on a 16 month brew schedule now. So okay. we're forecasting out, you know, well into next year or really all of next year, the rest of this year and all of next year on what brands we're going to market and what we're taking to our distributors. And I think the one thing that Daryl and I've learned over the course of this, it's a lot longer cycle um, than than what it may appear. So, you know, we have to introduce our new styles of beer to our distributors and the retailers now for next year. So ultimately, there's uh, certain times during a the year they get into into their what they call their resets. Okay. Um, so the grocery store chains in particular, you know, we're meeting now and starting to talk about the brands that are going to hit the market in April of next year. Wow. So we, we have to plan these things out and talk about, you know, what our offering of beers will be, not only in terms of the flavors, but also in terms of the packaging sizes. So, you know, something that's newer uh, that we're doing now is, is 19.2 ounce cans, uh, 16 ounce cans we're also doing. And each one of those package types are somewhat specific to where they're gonna end up. For example, if they're in convenience stores, there's a lot of, of movement now toward a higher ABV, higher alcohol content um, in a 19.2 ounce can. Um, so yeah, so all those are aspects of what we're planning for over the next year and a half and what those packages look like and what type of beer is gonna go in that type of packaging. Now we have to be a little bit out there. Right. Like he was talking about, we didn't realize going into this grocery stores only reset twice a year and during COVID it was once a year so whatever products in there you just can't go in and say hey sell my product again you got to wait till the next set because the shelf space is already taken by certain brands in certain locations yeah. it's a there's a science and every store is different so you got to figure out each store and what they're looking for how much space they have and you know over the last couple of years for instance the seltzer started seltzers became very popular Right. So it pushed a lot of the craft beer out of the cold box because they wanted more room for the seltzer. So if you weren't there, it was even harder to get into a, gotcha. a Publix or a Harris Teeter or a Lowe's, you know. So there's a whole art to that that uh, we didn't quite know about, but we, we figured out, still figure it out. So let's talk about that. I mean, what are some more of those lessons? Because like I said, I mean, I, I've learned a lot just in talking to you guys. And I think for a lot of people listening to this, hopefully they're getting an idea that it's more than just going to the tap room and, and enjoying themselves. You know, that, that the work that goes into creating what you can enjoy here, like you said, starts a year, year and a half in, in advance. And then when you want to go pick it up for yourself at home and you're not filling up a growler here, you know, that, that all happened or all those wheels went into motion long before that. So what are some other just lessons that you guys have learned along the way just from good old experience, you know, versus um, reading about it or learning about it? Or 
Well, one thing that's I think is kind of interesting about what we sort of predicted, I'm not sure it's really come true, but the tap room we always envisioned as being a place where people would come, the public would come and taste the beers, and then ultimately uh, that would be translated somehow into what happens in the market. And I think we're, we continue to be surprised that a lot of people that drink our beer have never even been here, which is always surprising to us. You know, we built this facility, so we think people are going to come here and drink the beer. Right. Um, so I'd say that's a little bit of a surprise at times when people are like, oh, I love your tropical IPA. And like, oh, did you, ha did you first try it in the tap room? And they're like, no, I've never been to your place. So it's just kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I think that's one of the things that's been interesting. So I think the market's changed a lot, particularly post-COVID. Um, like he, like Scott was saying, back in the day, the the consensus was you get salespeople. We have salespeople work directly for us, so we don't depend on the, the distributor to do all the heavy lifting for us. We try to get out ahead of them. Um, so the, the general consensus was if you get your product into on-premise places, which are bars, restaurants, hotels, that will then translate into people buying the store. Well, during COVID, all the bars closed. Right, wow, all the restaurants yeah. closed, so there was none of that could happen. So we started selling beer by the case um, out the window here, mm -hmm. and people started showing up. And then they would see it in the stores. And uh, thank goodness during COVID we had a canning machine because our on-premise sales went way down, but our off-premise sales, which are for stores, skyrocketed because people were buying it at the store and taking it home. Right, because yeah. nothing was open. Lessons learned, you know we. We tried to anticipate the COVID coming back. Uh, I think we did a pretty damn good job at that. We we figured uh, South Carolina would probably loosen up quicker than others. So during the COVID, we hired two or three people. It was very risky. We built this beer garden out here uh, while COVID was going on, anticipating Memorial Day, which about almost happened. So we were, everybody else was sit, sitting around waiting. Right. What do I do? What do I do? Well, on day one, we were open. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about surprises. Yeah, well. so the way beer sold in this country is is very state by state. And South Carolina, it's a three-tier system, which we like, but um, we have to sell our beer to a distributor who sells it to the retailer. Um, but, but the challenge becomes multiple distributors and multiple contracts and multiple um, terms and conditions. and so we, we didn't anticipate all the negotiations that go on and, and what these contracts really mean and how long they go. And if uh, your brand, if one distributor buys your brand, like if another distributor comes to our distributor and says, we want to sell steel hands. Mm -hmm. Well, that distributor has to pay the other distributor, whatever, five times volume, and we get absolutely nothing for the transaction, right? Wow. So it's, it's, but we don't want to own trucks and we don't want to have truck drivers and all that liability, but just the, and now we're in North Carolina. So, so there's a whole different set of rules when it comes to selling and furnishing alcohol. And, and Georgia. Okay. Well, and so like, it sounds like, you know, in a way when you, when you want to start making beer, um, and selling it, is, is your first customer really a, finding a distributor that will take you on to kind of get you into, into more retail markets? Or is it trying to sell it in a, in a tap room? I mean, who are you trying to yes. sort of get on board first? Okay. All <laughs> the above. <laughs> yeah, so based on the system that we invested in, 
the size of the system, uh, the volume that were able to be produced in the back of house, you really can't justify only selling that beer in the front of house, okay. you know, in the tap room. So based on the business plan and the volume that we've anticipated brewing and producing, um, it only makes sense to have distributors. Yeah, I think one of the lessons there is that there there are always more than one customer. You know, there's a customer that, that's going to enjoy that themselves, but then there's the it, like you said, the three-tier system, you know, you have a distributor that has to want to or, or see some potential in it that they can sell it to to all their people and, 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 and then so on down the line. Um, I think this is, this is a fascinating business in terms of there's the part that you can see and then there's so much else that is, is behind the scenes that, that, is, that is unseen. Um, so I'm not going to hit you with a, a bad pun about what's on tap or what's, you know, but what what is next? I mean, I think you guys just opened up in Greensboro um, this summer. Uh, is it similar to this, where or is it just a brew pub, or are you canning up there? Uh, what's what's going on in Greensboro? Probably the the most unique thing about the difference between the two is it's a smaller system in Greensboro, okay. and it's designed somewhat differently. Um, one of the struggles for our business here was we have a big system with big tanks, and being able to produce just taproom beers or specialty beers. Um, tends to be inefficient for us here. And it also takes up a lot of tank space. So, you know, if you look at our tap list, um, up until recently, we had about 14 beers on tap. Now we have about 18 beers on tap. Um, and those beers are made in Greensboro, starting to make up the difference in those. So we're actually importing beer from Greensboro down here and actually streamlining the business here to where our goal is to get down to about seven or eight beers actually produced here. And then there'd be seven or eight beers produced up in Greensboro that would be uh, shipped down here, not only just for taproom consumption, but also out of the market. Um, so with that system up there, um, another part of the game plan is um, what we're calling the tank series. And so we're producing um, kegged beer that will go out into the market. And there's a, is, there's a big focus and a lot of on-premise accounts uh, for, you know, specialty beers. And they're always wanting something new. We call it, you know, rotation nation uh, yeah. for, for the taps. Um, so we weren't really fulfilling that need Okay. based on our size of production here. Greensboro allows us to fill that need. So we're actually, even though it's recently opened in Greensboro, we're already bringing those kind of beers in here uh, in, throughout South Carolina. So we're selling them in Greenville, uh, soon to be Charleston, Columbia markets. Um, so it's it's actually a, a whole nother kind of business plan that we're working on, on on-premise draft counts that are wanting that constant new beers uh, available. Um, and which was a little difficult here to be able to do that as we're focused more on the production on canned beers and, and kind of you know, larger production uh, model. Well, we've got a full-blown tap room bigger than this one there. Um, we've got a distributor up there just like we do here, but it still looks a lot different. So it's, it's, it gets complex and, and the, the finances of selling beer here to there, selling beer from there to here, and it, it's a challenge. For instance, up there, we have to beer that's made here that we want to sell in our tap room, just like we sell it here for people to come in. We have to sell it to the distributor there. He sells it back to us at retail, just like he does any other brewery. Um, so we have to be strategic, right? We have to figure out, yeah. okay, what we're going to brew where, how much we think it's going to sell, and then minimize the transportation costs and the overhead and the kegs and and, and all that. So it's... it's uh, and how do you get the beer across state lines? Most distributors won't carry the beer across state lines. So actually, one of our friends started 
started a trucking company on the side to transport beer back and forth. So he got wow. all the appropriate licenses to move beer back and forth. So a lot of logistics as you cross state lines and start, you know, opening a business in another state. But talking about the future, I think, you know, our, our plan was um, to continue to grow. Um, it has it has not been without pain for sure, but, um, you know, we we're testing now in Greensboro um, if you have a local point of production where everything's created, does the market look like it does here in Columbia? Said another way, we tend to struggle outside of the Columbia market, you know, Charleston, Greenville, Spartanburg. They're successful, but they're not anything close to Columbia. So if we can replicate this in Greensboro, that local market, including Raleigh, takes off like this, then we figured out, okay, that's what we need to do. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we do it one or two more times. Um, you know, maybe we have, uh, uh, in North Carolina, you can have three remote tap rooms. So maybe we experiment around with a just a, a tap room with the beer that's made in Greensboro and uh, see what the financials look on that. You know, it's, it's uh, there's a lot of pieces. You know, you've got the food component, you've got the, the entertainment and live music component. You've got the tap room. You've got the back of the house. So it's, it's almost like four or five businesses wrapped up in a one. But anyway, that's yeah. we want to keep growing. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Scott and I were talking about that earlier about about the sort of multiple businesses under one roof. You know, it's not it's not just the beer. It's the beer in the front. It's the beer in, you know in the back, so to speak. It's the you know the the. You have a restaurant that that operates here, oh, yeah. and then to your point about booking entertainment, and, you know, having things that people want to come and see, uh, just for the good of the community, but also it's good for the for the business to drive people in here. Um, well, thank you for doing what you're doing. I mean, it it it, um, it is a lot. It sounds like a lot, but I'm sure it is a lot. And just like you said, all the things that you've learned about, you know, alcohol laws, and I mean, just even having to buy beer from yourself to sell back to you uh, through through yourself, I think. Um, all those things and that you guys are still in it. Um, and you also have day jobs, which which is also interesting and that you're able to keep it all going. But, uh, you know, as a member of the community that enjoys it, thank you for doing that. But um, thank you for operating a, just a great business. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.